Hey everyone, you're listening to episode 32 of the Finish Line podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. On today's episode, we get to chat with Chris Hunsberger, who serves as the CEO of Radical. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Cody Hobelman, and I'm here with my co-host and brother, Keelan. Today, we have Chris Hunsberger joining us from Radical. You'll get to hear about several aspects of reaching the unreached throughout this episode. The team at Radical has put in the work to help individuals, churches, and organizations focus their efforts toward the most urgent needs in the world. Chris explains the great imbalance in Christian giving and why it should affect the way you think about giving. Each of us has a role to play in making disciples of all nations, and Radical has designed tools specifically to help us determine what that role might be. I was inspired by this interview, and I know you'll feel empowered to make a difference after hearing what Chris has to say. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you guys that everything we do here on the Finish Line team is 100% free and always will be. If you're getting a lot out of this podcast and want to help us get the message to others, the best thing you can do for us right now is to leave us in a review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you're the first to know when episodes come out. And with that, let's get started. We're here tonight with Chris Hunsberger, the CEO of Radical. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Cody. I'm looking forward to talking with you guys. So can you get us started with telling us a little bit about who you are, your background, and how you were raised? Yeah, man, summarizing something like that sounds like an easy question, but man, I could go on for days in a sense because (laughs) I have certainly been blessed in a variety of ways by the Lord to gift me the gift of the family that he placed me in. So if you go all the way back as far as just in a sense, kind of my story a little bit, I was given the gift of being born into a disciple-making family. So my dad was a pastor, has been making disciples since before I was born, and my mom doing the same thing. My mom is, I would argue, is one of the greatest prayer warriors on the planet. And so just knowing that the two of them together is who raised me and my brother and my sister is yeah, truly a gift. But we did move around a little bit, but landed in middle school just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. So northeast of Atlanta is where I went to middle school and high school. Right out of high school, I went to a small school over in Birmingham, Alabama, which is where I still live today. So that's obviously been many, many years ago, but a little school called Samford University right here in Birmingham. And I share that story a little bit in a sense because that led directly into my first quote-unquote ministry opportunity in a sense. Although I was a part of a lot of ministry experiences growing up because I grew up in the church. Yeah, I became a full-time staff member at a local church in Birmingham while I was in college. And Fast forward 17 years after being a couple of different positions, I served most recently there as the executive pastor, which for us, that was more basically everything that I could do from a leadership perspective, but not teaching and preaching. So we had a a pastor that did that, but I did all the other stuff I, I like to say behind the scenes. And then six years ago is when I joined the team here at Radical. So that's a lot there in a sense, kind of short, as short of a summary as I could get to. You may have specific questions or along those lines, but I worked again at one place for 17 years and one local church. That's what kept me in Birmingham 
On a personal level, I'm married to a girl that I met while I was in college at Sanford. We met the first day of school and dated all the way through. And then I have three incredible kids, two daughters at high school and middle school. And then I have a little guy. My son is five, who is in kindergarten. So we kind of we kind of spread it out a little bit. But yeah, it's a great family. Awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about how Radical started and how you got kind of directly involved in what Radical is doing? Yeah, so Radical, David Platt founded Radical roughly about 11 years ago, so roughly around 2010. And I would summarize it this way. David chose to start Radical more so as the teaching resource ministry, in a sense, I'm kind of paraphrasing here in a sense, but the teaching resource ministry of David Platt is what Radical was when he founded it. Basically, he wrote a book that, by God's grace, a lot of people were reading called Radical. And so as a result, he realized that there were other churches, there were individuals, there were conferences that had a desire for him to come speak. And so that, accompanied by the fact that he was teaching regularly in the local church and as the pastor of that local church, and he wanted to steward that content well. So he created, many people are familiar with Desiring God. And so what Desiring God does and did for alongside the content of John Piper Radical, in a sense, was founded to do the same thing around the content and teaching and writing of David Platt. So that was about 11 years ago. Fast forward about five years into that journey is when I stepped into the role at the time. It was the executive director role at Radical. And I think it's interesting to hear just again on a personal level, but I think it kind of summarizes where our organization was headed At the time when David and the current executive director, who a gentleman who's still on our board today, approached me about this possibility, the conversation, I've known David for for quite a long time. So, you know, it wasn't this introductory, who's David, who's Chris kind of a conversation, but David is extremely gifted with a lot of skills. And I came along and they had this conversation with me that went something like, Chris, I'm now leading a global missions organization. I'm not teaching regularly on different topics. I'm not preaching every week like I was in local church. But we would love for you to consider coming to Radical and helping lead Radical. So I'm going, huh, the teaching resource ministry of David Platt. David Platt is not teaching regularly. Why in the world would my family consider this when we feel really, really good about where God has us in the local church where we were serving? But there was one statement that David made to me that still sticks out today. And he said, he said, Chris, if you say yes to this opportunity to come alongside me and and lead Radical, I want you to come in and dream and dream big about where God could potentially lead us in the days to come, about what Radical could become. And that sounds really, really exciting to a visionary. I'm not really a visionary. (laughs) (laughs) I know my lane. I know my space. I know my strengths and weaknesses. And so to me, I thought, huh, okay, I'm not a marketing expert. I don't know technology to the skills, to the level of like all these, at that time, like podcasts are starting to boom and all these different ways to, to curate content. And I'm like, I'm not a creative. And again, I'm not the one that like just casting lots and lots of vision. And so I'm going, oh, that sounds really cool. But there was something about that statement that I kind of gravitated to and I held on to, but it was a little bit of a different attraction than to some people that would have loved hearing that. 
it was a little bit of a scary jump. It was a scary jump for my family. But what we realized by God's leadership was God had been working in our lives and our hearts for quite some time leading up to that discussion. And so when we stepped into the role of coming on board with Radical, again, I, I told you what Radical was at the time. But I came into Radical knowing that that's not where Radical was. That's not the lane Radical was going to remain in, Lord willing, for the course of time. But I didn't know at what rate things were going to change. I didn't know at when in the timeline things were going to begin to shift. But I just felt strongly that somewhere along this journey, if I remained a part of Radical, that that things were going to begin to change for, I guess, define differently who we were and how we carried out our mission. And so it was through that first couple of years where, in many ways, we were curating content. We were doing all that Radical had initially been founded to do. All the while, David's leading a global missions organization. And so about a couple, three or four years into that, David felt strongly led to go back into the pastorate. And it was at that point that David and I began to talk and the conversations were very much, what are we going to do with Radical? What is Radical going to become? And so in those conversations, David David shared a variety of things, but Two things, I, again, I remember in those particular conversations. One was he said, I, I really, I want to do, in a sense, two things with my life. And so I'm summarizing here. But these two things in particular, one, I want to preach and teach and steward a faith family. I want to shepherd a faith family weekly through the word, i.e. be a pastor. And two, I want to do everything in my life, life's power to get the gospel to those who've never heard it. And so it was in those conversations that we began to, in a sense, rebuild Radical. We talked about launching something else and keeping Radical what it was before. But we felt strongly, even though all the marketing experts were telling us, don't do, don't do it. Don't just keep it what it is and go start something new. We felt strongly about rebranding and maximizing the audience that God had given to David and to Radical. That's very much what I find my part of my responsibilities are is to steward that audience, to to think wisely about how do we leverage what God has given to David and to Radical. And so we maintained that brand, the Radical brand, but we really began to pivot. And so that was when Radical, about 18 months ago, Radical became and started becoming something more, in a sense, not better than, but more than the teaching resource ministry of David Platt. And what that really became was an organization that we we don't really have a good short phrase that would fit with others, right? Like we can't say we're a global missions organization. Because when you say that, people immediately go in their mind to certain types of organizations that wouldn't necessarily best define who we are. There's a lot of organizations in a sense that that are having similar conversations, but we basically summarize our organization in a sense by saying that Radical exists to equip the church to be on mission. So anything that we can do to equip the church to be on mission that's where we want to find ourselves. And the next thing that comes out of our mouth when defining who we are as an organization is unreached. And how do we help the church, specifically pastors, that's one of our two demographics, so that we go after. How do we serve pastors, both in the U.S. and globally, 
with helping them identify their part to play in making disciples of all nations, specifically in some of the hardest to reach places on the planet where there is very, there's very little church, there's little to no access to the gospel. So for us, again, kind of hard to categorize the organizational name we are, but that's why we exist. That's what we do. And we do that in a variety of ways. We do that through events. We do that through biblical resources, which in some ways is similar to what we've been doing for our history. But then we also actually have work on the front lines where we've identified indigenous brothers and sisters that we're coming alongside, we're funding, we're praying for, we're helping train and equip. And then Lord willing, in the future, in 2023, we will actually launch a expat missionary training program to go to some of these hard places. So again, I, I tried to summarize for you in a, I guess, a long narrative of who we are and what we are as an organization. I have the elevator pitch, but for this type of conversation, I thought it was easier just to kind of say, hey, this is this is a longer narrative. This is who we are. This is why we exist. And it's a little bit unique. It's not similar to, in a sense, I can't say, whereas before we could say, oh, we're very, quote unquote, desiring God-like in our structure. Now there really isn't, there's multiple organizations in some senses we can say, well, we're, we kind of do some of what they might say they do or we do similar to what this other organization does, but we find our space heavily, heavily, heavily engaged in the local church. And how do we support the local church who has the responsibility to make disciples of all nations? Wow. Well, thank you for that description. I, I think just based on the website, there's so many different paths you can go down. And it's helpful to hear kind of the the bigger picture, what you aim to do. And, and I'd love to dive into your methodology on some of these things. But before we get to that, I've noticed that with so many people that we've talked to, you can look back through your life and see God preparing you for things long before he actually puts you in those situations. And I'm curious if your experience as an executive pastor and with that church, did that prepare you for what you're doing now? You talked about when you first came on board with Radical, you thought, well, I'm not a visionary. Maybe this isn't my typical role. And then there was this shift that started to happen a few years later. Would you say that your life experience leading up to that time actually prepared you for what you're currently doing? Yeah, you know, I believe strongly in the sovereignty of God. I have a little seventh grade group of boys that I lead on Sunday morning small group. And in fact, just this morning, we were talking about story of Moses him going, you know, before Pharaoh and, and asking Pharaoh to let the people go and just God hardening Pharaoh's heart and the, the power of God's control on all of that's going on around us, right? And so even for these seventh grade boys and I who relate in a variety of ways, very similar. Yeah, like just thinking back on my life and the sovereignty of God and how he orchestrates all things. Yeah, so even I just see how God began to prepare me in some senses as I look back. I mean, I remember in the seventh grade when God introduced me to David Platt. I didn't know who I was meeting. I had no idea this guy that became one of my best friends, like the trajectory that he had for David and how that might align with the trajectory he had for me, right? David and I graduated high school. He went to the University of Georgia. I went to Sanford and we had very different experiences. But I look back on even even back into high school, I became a follower of Jesus when I was 16. That's when That's when it became, my eyes were open, my heart was awakened to the reality of what God has done for me. Even though I had been in a home that was making disciples, I look even back to that and I'm like, 
it was through that student ministry that David and I were a part of that I came to know Jesus. So fast forward, right? Doing, interacting and beginning then to even understand the part to play that we have in making Jesus known among all nations, like all the way back to 16, 17, 18 years old. Fast forward, I go to college, I start serving in a local church, I become an executive pastor. And just to be very open and vulnerable with you guys, I've shared this before with others, so it's not like this is the only place I would, I'm saying this, but it was during my time as serving in the local church that I realized there were moments that I felt as though I had arrived, <laughs> right? Like I was a very, very young executive pastor in a fairly large church, and I had arrived. I had climbed the ladder, the quote unquote, if there's a corporate ladder in the church, I found it and I climbed it. And so it was during my time as serving as executive pastor that I began to really wrestle with the role of the church and the responsibility that the church has in making disciples of all nations. And I didn't know what that wrestling was. So now I can identify it as that. But I didn't know what that wrestling was at the time. But I did realize that during all of that, like, again, thinking back experiences, thinking back to the way God had placed me in leadership roles, I had always been placed in roles where I was leading people. Even when I was 19, 20 years old and I was first thrust into the staff role, I mean, I had a full staff. They were young. I mean, they were college students and high school students, but like I was leading people. I was leading staff. I become executive pastor. I was leading staff in many ways, like even along that journey, I can look back and I can say, you know, I, I say this often. If you're a really, really good coach, you can coach any sport. You're probably going to have better abilities in certain sports just based on your likeness or your understanding. But I look back on my life and I'm like, if I look at it like a coach, I'm like, OK, God placed me in, in opportunities where I was leading alongside other people, where people were involved. And in a sense, I was placed in leadership roles. And so that certainly doesn't say anything about me and my skill set, but it does speak to how did I get prepared for this role again if you look at it like that coach analogy that I just, it's still working with people. It's still leading people. It's still helping equip and coach people up and, and help them achieve in a sense, maybe more than they thought they could or helping them work together as a team. And so I think most of all the positions that I've had and the roles that I've had and the allowing me to serve in a local church, leading a staff has lots and lots and lots of experience along those lines that play directly into what I'm doing today. Although in a sense, it's very different, right? It's not a local church. I'm not an elder. I'm not a pastor of radical, but it's still very, very, very similar from those experiences. And so I try and apply those lessons directly into our team today. I would say too, one other thing that may apply here is you kind of talked about the visionary thing. My role as executive pastor, really, again, serving right underneath the lead pastor senior pastor, again, visionary implementer, visionary implementer, right? Those were the relationships. So very similar here. It's just now when you have a title like CEO, you typically are considered the visionary. That's typically the way it works in corporate America. So in our world where we are at Radical, it is unique that I have this role of CEO where I think I've, I've had to grow a lot in vision and vision casting, but I still do sit directly alongside David 
where David's still casting vision for Radical, even though he's not an employee of Radical, where I'm leading in many ways, I'm leading Radical on his behalf. And so it is still this unique relationship, even though the title, it fully defines what I do, but it's still not like I'm trying to figure out how to cast vision all on my own. That wasn't natural to me. And it's still, it's okay that it's not. I've just learned more understanding of how to accomplish that than I did years before. Yeah, it's interesting to hear that background about how Radical has evolved, and especially over the last few years. I know that you guys have a whole bunch of different initiatives and events and training programs going on. A couple specifically I wanted to get into. One of those is Urgent. And I think you were alluding to it earlier in some of what you were saying. Can you tell us a little bit more about Urgent and what your mission is in Urgent and what strategies you guys are using to accomplish that? Yeah. So again, when I was talking about this whole idea of why Radical exists to serve the church, we don't want to do things different just to be doing them different. That's not our desire. However, we find ourselves doing things different than maybe have been done in the past. We do it different because or we developed we developed new ways of doing things, mainly because we look at the landscape and we realize that there are 3.2 billion people that are considered unreached. So they have little to no access to the gospel. That number was less than 3.2 billion people two years ago than it is today. So the number is increasing. So the way we look at it is if we don't change some of the ways that the church makes disciples of all nations, then we're not headed in the right direction. Something has got to change. And I'm not playing a pun off David's last book. Like something has to change in the way we go about this responsibility that we have. And so as we begin to look at it, we thought in a variety of ways, okay, what does that mean? What does that look like for the church to make disciples of all nations? And if we all have received the same command, Matthew 28, if we've all received that same command and all have responsibilities to go to all nations or to be a part of making Jesus known in all nations, then what does that look like for the local church, for local churches? So what we began to do is we began to build and come alongside and identify indigenous workers. So indigenous individuals who live and follow Jesus right where they are in really hard to reach places. So that took quite a bit of time, right? Where through quite a bit of research, quite a bit of networking, quite a bit of interviews, years and years of David's experiences through the global missions organization he was leading, years and years, I mean, 20 plus years of experience through one of the staff members that we have on our team or had on our team working among the unreached on the front lines of urgent need. All of that led to us having relationships with a variety of, again, brothers and sisters who live inside these countries where we're not as radical. We're not saying in every situation you need to train and equip your local church to go to these hard places. That is, we're saying that, but that's not what we're saying with urgent. With urgent, we're saying we're going to provide the local church a means to support work among the unreached in really hard places, places where you cannot take a short-term trip. The likelihood is the places that are remain the remaining on the planet where the gospel has not reached yet, you don't really have open access to. 
In some cases you do, depending on your skill sets, your business background or a variety of things. But it's in most cases, you're not going in somewhere as a missionary or taking a short term mission trip to identify and to begin the process of helping plant a church. So we have created this opportunity for churches to be a part of making the name of Jesus known in some of the hardest places through these indigenous brothers and sisters. And what that looks like for us is an initiative called Urgent. So you go to urgentneeds.org and or you can go to radical.net and click on Urgent. You can get there a couple different ways. But what Urgent is, is an initiative of Radical where we, again, have identified those workers. We've identified the work that they're doing. We have vetted those workers. We have even training and equipping, in some cases, those workers. And we've created a way for the church, individuals, or local churches in the reached places in the world to fund work that's happening all over the world in these closed places, in these really hard-to-reach places. And so there's a bigger picture here that I'd love to, maybe, maybe this is a good time to interject this here. 99%, roughly, 99% of global missions funding, so global missions funding coming out of churches in the reached places in the world, 99% of that funding is going to places where the church already exists, right? So what does that mean? Approximately 1% of funding, so resources, money, only about 1% of the global missions funding is going to places where the gospel has not reached. So again, unreached. So we're not only waving the banner about the unreached, we're not only talking about the unreached, we want to, that's called the great imbalance. That's the phrase that's kind of been coined there when it comes to that 99 to one ratio. And we want to begin to see that become more balanced. And so urgent exists in a sense as a means to help begin to balance that great imbalance. It is a way. We're not saying that radical through urgent is the only way to make him known among the unreached. No, but we are saying when we go into these churches and we talk with these pastors and we train and equip 18 to 25 year olds and, and we stir that up, like we feel like it was our responsibility to have an answer, to have a means to work toward the balancing that imbalance. And so that's why we launched urgent. And so People can give to Urgent, and as a part of becoming, as a part of serving or supporting Urgent, supporting Radical, but supporting the, the initiative of Urgent, you're literally helping fund a variety of urgent physical and spiritual needs. So this is important right here, right? Through Urgent, we recognize the ultimate goal, the ultimate goal that we see of the responsibility that we have as the church, not just Radical, but church, big C, is to make the name of Jesus known, plant churches, make the name of Jesus known, plant churches, right? So we're multiplying churches, making disciples and multiplying churches. So all of the work that we're supporting, all the work that we're, we're doing in these, these hard to reach places is ultimately leading to the establishment of a local church. That church may be underground, that church may may certainly probably will look different in a, some senses to what you and I know of as local church. 
But we have what we call the 12 traits of a, of a biblically healthy church that we looked in Scripture. And, and David pulled out these 12 traits that all biblically healthy churches should be doing, should should have as a part of who they are. And so we want to help those churches either, one, get to that point, train and equip those pastors to do that, or we may, maybe we find churches that are biblically healthy and we want to come alongside them and pour as much fuel on what they're doing as possible. And in a lot of cases, that's meeting urgent physical needs. And so those physical needs look different in a majority of wherever we are in the world, wherever we're working. But those urgent needs, those physical needs, I mean, they could be providing clean water. They could be feeding the poor. They could be helping the education system. They could be fighting trafficking. I mean, all of those things that you would know that you're going to do meeting physical needs in most any local church, we're going to do. We're just going to do it in such a way that it's supporting in really hard places. And the specific type of work that's happening there is being led by, in a sense, ultimately, either a pastor or someone that is being trained and equipped to be a pastor elder. And are you guys doing most of that both the finding and training pastors and as well as meeting the physical needs primarily just through Radical? Or are you working through partnerships with other organizations in, in some of that as well? Yeah, it's a both end. It's definitely a both end. We have, again, we don't know everyone in every country. Now, it is amazing how the Lord begins to work. You get a really good worker in one particular country in the Middle East, and they can identify who's doing really good work in another country in the Middle East and who's doing another good work, you know, in other parts of the world. But yes, I mean, we, we do, we come alongside of other organizations and put them through the exact same vetting process and support work that, that they're doing there. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. I wanted to come back to something that you mentioned is, is there's physical and spiritual needs. And I imagine there's all kinds of ways to go about thinking about that and last time we talked, you mentioned this tool that has been created called Stratus. And I'm hoping you can explain a little bit more about what Stratus is and how those spiritual and physical needs are measured. Yeah, I almost mentioned it just a minute ago, but then I was like, ah, oh, you might ask me that question. So I'll wait for then. But yes. So when we talk about maybe back up a little bit, I will talk about Stratus because but going back to what you were just talking about with Urgent, what we were just talking about with Urgent, when we're working to meet and identifying the specific physical needs of a particular location. We also know that a lot of quote-unquote global mission work is the type of work that's done may not be what's most needed in a particular area. I mean, we know this. I mean, you, you, can, you can look at a variety of things. How the majority of global missions strategy and the type of work occurs. How do those churches come up with that? They typically call their buddy down the street and they say, hey, where are you guys doing work? And what does that look like? And they tell them where they're doing work and what kind of work they're doing in that place. And they're like, great, we're coming to help you. Right. So that's how we get to that 99 to one ratio. <laughs> that's an example. And that's that's a generalization. Not everybody does it that way. But we do know that occurs. So what we did was we, over quite a bit of time, we developed, I say we, we as Radical did develop it. However, there was a lot of people way smarter than me who were on the team to develop Stratus. You can go to stratus.earth, S-T-R-A-T 
T-U-S, so stratus.earth. And stratus is a tool that is made up of approximately 200 plus, 220 something, I think is the number, data points that is all merged in a sense, brought together in a way and then delivered on a platform, which is on stratus.earth, that identifies the greatest, most urgent needs in the world. And so it does formulate into an equation and begins to rank these countries. So all this data is at a country level. It begins to rank these countries against each other, right? So like if you were to go to stratus.earth right now and look at it, the stratus equation, right? The ranking says that based on all the needs in the world, at the intersection of urgent spiritual and physical needs, Afghanistan has the greatest, most urgent needs in the world. Now, a couple caveats here. That's not saying that Afghanistan is, quote unquote, the most unreached place in the world. But when you put that with the greatest urgent needs, and there's all kinds of barriers that, that lead to these urgent needs, right? That ranks out to being Afghanistan's number one. But I'll go ahead and tell you the difference between like number one and even number like 20. (laughs) I mean, it's a pretty small fraction, right? But it still does. It calculates out all the way to whatever decimal points are necessary to determine to rank against each other. But what does that really do for us as a church? This tool then should help identify one that you are working in places where the gospel is not already. So you should identify places in your local churches, in your individual lives. We say all the time, you must have a part of your portfolio, your giving portfolio, your missions portfolio, must have space for the unreached. So we're saying you stratus as a way to help identify where are these places in the world, and then Specifically, what are we going to do when we get there? So if Afghanistan is number one in the world, and I'm not looking at it, but if you looked at Afghanistan and it said that, just say that it, it's because you can you can take all these data points and you can begin to identify them. You can toggle on and off and you can take it all the way granular to determine that. Just say it's poor literacy rate, a very low literacy rate. Well, now as a local church in Afghanistan, what do you think you should be focusing your attention on? If they don't need clean water, let's not give them clean water. If they need to know how to read, let's help them learn to read, right? So this tool helps develop strategy for for how we're going to not only identify places, but what we're going to do when we get to these places. So the type of project, the type of work, the type of funding that we, we do with these urgent funds, in a sense, right, this giving goes to that specific type work. So in a sense, we're going to do what Stratus <laughs> what Stratus is telling us that we need to be doing in those places. So it doesn't just drive our work. Stratus is available to anyone. We would argue it should drive all mission strategy to do it a little differently in a sense that it's been being done. Yeah, it's really interesting. I've looked through Stratus a little bit and I'm looking at it here again some more. Do you think this is most useful to other organizations that are trying to develop their own strategy for how they target and what strategies they're actually using in the places that they're going? 
Or do you think that there's also a role for individuals, you know, like even some of our listeners who are trying to figure out how do I effectively give and what organizations do I support? Where are those organizations working? You know, how can somebody use this maybe on an individual level? Yeah, I think it's definitely a both end. I mean, we didn't spend all this time and resources and effort to just create it for mission orgs. However, if, if it made a huge impact that way, praise God. But yeah, I would say even as an individual, you know, like, I mean, I give. And so I now have access to information in a really easy to understand way. So when I am giving, I now, if I have identified an organization or if I, if I come alongside a particular worker or a missionary, or, I would actually begin to question what they're doing there based on what I'm finding. Right. If I'm supporting a particular worker somewhere and if they have identified what they're going to be doing while they're there, but yet I look at Stratus and I say, there's not really a need for that there. It changes the way I begin to think even about how I'm going to give my funds and what I'm going to give it to. So, yeah, I mean, again, it's not a funding tool. (laughs) We actually look at it. It's a data tool, but we actually look at it as a mobilization tool. It's like. Now, when you're going to these certain places, like if I have a particular skill set, if I have a particular calling or responsibility to do a certain thing, then I need to identify where in the world that is most needed. And that's where I go. So it changes for mission organizations. It changes for individuals. It changes the way you give. It changes the way you go. (laughs) Even think about this. If you do As a local church, if I'm a missions pastor, if I'm a local pastor and and someone comes to me and says, I feel called to global missions, my family and I, I think we're headed to Nepal. Like, okay, well, why do you think you should go to Nepal? Well, it sure is beautiful there. (laughs) Okay, well, you go go to Stratus and look at Nepal and you look at like how hard it is to live there. You look at the topography, you look at the barriers and you look at what is needed most there, what it takes to live there. And you look at this particular family and you're like, man, you're really equipped to do a lot of things in technology. You're really equipped to do a lot of things that you have a lot of skills and abilities, but you don't align with the ability to go trek through the Himalayas to get the gospel to these really hard places. Right. So we have a responsibility even as, as pastors and elders and how are we going to shepherd these individuals that feel called to go and, So it it plays into, in a sense, every aspect, (laughs) individually, churches, organizations. Yeah, it's a really interesting breakdown and that crossover between physical needs and spiritual needs. I mean, we've talked to organizations that are advancing the gospel in unreached areas through clean water or advancing the gospel through food and food security and all kinds of different strategies. And I mean, this is a great way for an organization like that or somebody who is passionate about clean water and in what they give to, to kind of strategically figure out which unreached parts of the world would best be reached through that resource or provision. Yeah, I I completely agree. And we've heard people share that sometimes that spiritual need is desperate, but meeting a physical need will open up a population to hearing the gospel for the first time for example. And I think it's just incredible that you've zeroed in on that, the way that those needs 
are happening simultaneously and the approach really matters. I did want to talk about the Great Commission for a little bit. I know you mentioned it. It's, it's go and make disciples of all nations. And I'm curious from your perspective, how are we doing towards meeting the Great Commission? And what would that even look like? And what would it take to actually get there? Yeah, well, I'd say a couple of things. How are we doing? I would say we're not doing well, right? If the number is increasing faster <laughs> than it's decreasing, we're losing. Now, best part is we win. I mean, God wins, right? Like We know the end of the story. We know that every tribe, tongue, nation will be represented at the throne. So we know all this, right? So I would say the good news is we know the end that God wins. The bad news is based on the best we can tell, there's still people that have never heard there are still people groups. There are still groups of people <laughs> that have never heard who Jesus is, what he's done for them, and that it's only through him that we can have a relationship, right? It's on, That's the only way to experience heaven. And so how are we doing? Not great, which is why we're saying, well, okay, if we really believe in this command— to make disciples of all nations. If we really believe in that, then shouldn't that drive everything that we do? Like everything that we do as a church, everything that we do as individuals. And it can't just be, yes, there are people all around me. You all hear David Platt saying some of this stuff. Like there are people all around me, right where I live here in the United States of America, that are lost. They don't know Jesus. They're not unreached. Their quote-unquote people group is represented. Now, even for someone that comes from a people group, they move to America, and they're, they're not, their people group may cons- be considered unreached. I have neighbors around me, right? They might be from unreached people. But they're no, that individual is no longer unreached. Why? Because they're in my neighborhood. Like, I have access. They have access to the gospel through me, Right? or churches that are everywhere around here. And so we have to make progress. The church has got to realize when the command came, well, just that, it was a command. It wasn't a, okay, some of you I want to go to all nations, and some of you I want to work right where you are. I want all of you to go to all nations. That's the church's responsibility. It's what pastors have got to understand. They have a part to play in making disciples of all nations, and they do that through their local church. It's an incredible, incredible responsibility. I mean, it's why they're going to be held accountable for it one day. Right? And we would say if you are not preaching and teaching and equipping those that are in a part of your faith family in your local church, if you're not equipping them to make disciples of all nations, then you are directly disobeying a command. And so what does that look like? We have to make disciples of all nations. We have to figure out ways to do that. And kind of, Cody, what you were talking about, I think some of our last conversation is, what does that inroad look like? Well, think about Paul. What did the apostle Paul do? The Apostle Paul did not move from one place to the other and just stay there forever. 
the Apostle Paul moved from one place to the next. And when he moved there, what did he do? He established a church. He shared the gospel. He led people to Jesus. He made disciples. And they themselves began to formulate a biblically healthy church. And he checked on them. He wrote back to them. He constantly made sure that they were healthy and they were staying on task, right? That's our example. And so the job is not done, this isn't simple, by only going and telling the world about Jesus. We have to work toward establishing healthy churches. I give another example. I had a conversation, Cody, I may have shared this with you already, but I remember a few years ago, David and I were in a conversation here in the, the United States, and this pastor from the Middle East, we'll just say the Middle East, this gentleman was probably in his 70s, had been pastoring all over the Middle East for decades. And, I mean, probably knows as much about work in the Middle East as any anybody that I've ever come in contact with. And I'll never forget, he's told David this. I just had the opportunity of hearing this. And he said, David, if we're not careful, we are a generation away, probably less than that, or even potentially a decade or two away of having an entire generation of individuals that claim to be followers of Jesus that don't know Jesus. And his point was, People are, quote unquote, coming to faith at rapid rates, and there's no church in existence to disciple them. So his concern is by just simply introducing them to the saving power of Jesus, like that's not enough. So what does the end of the road look like? The end of the road looks like healthy churches established all over the world. Because it's in those local churches that we make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, not brand new believers who are telling brand new believers who are telling brand new believers who are telling individuals. And unfortunately, what begins to happen is this is where we don't have enough workers, right? We don't have enough disciples to then make and be a part of planting and working toward those healthy churches. So, Again, for us, we get a little bit concerned when we hear, you know, like these rapid numbers of individuals coming to faith. And we trust that God can do that. He absolutely can do that. But then I think back to that brother who's coming from the Middle East and saying to us, man, we got to be careful. We got to be careful. (laughs) We got to make sure we're working toward establishing churches who then can multiply in healthy ways that can multiply biblical disciples. And that to me, I don't know if there's an end of the road. The end of the road is living life eternally in heaven with Jesus. But like, I think I definitely feel like scripture points us to that's, that's what it has to look like when it comes to the missionary road, (laughs) the road for global missions has to end with like Paul did, right? He moved on when there was a church established. Like that has to be what we're working toward. So when we work toward meeting urgent physical needs, it's not apart from that. If we're working to meet physical needs, we're doing that as a part of either working toward the establishment of that local church or as a part in partnership through that local church. Yeah, I think you're exactly right about that. When I look back at 
some of the other conversations we've had on this podcast and a lot of what you've said today, the two things that stand out to me about kind of where the church really needs to pivot in our attention and focus, and this is exactly what you guys are doing, is one, we need to make a huge shift in resources towards unreached people groups, places where there is not currently access to the gospel. And then two, there needs to be a huge shift towards empowering indigenous missionaries, believers, and and churches, and the work that they are already doing, rather than recreating the wheel from scratch. And I'm curious if that's kind of how you see things too, as, as far as what needs to change most, or if there's something you would add to that, or what your take is on, you know, where the church needs to pivot most in order to kind of shift this pattern that we have. Just using that statistic, that 99 to one imbalance. I mean, I think that speaks pretty loud. I think it speaks pretty loud that I think what's happened, and this is generalization here. This isn't every local church in the world. This is not certainly not even every local church in America. But I think what's happened is we have compartmentalized missions. We've programmed missions. And so you have your children's ministry, you have your student ministry, you have your adult ministry, and you have your missions ministry. And you have and you're like, whoa, what just happened here? Like all of those things are making disciples. Children's making disciples, students making disciples, adults making disciples. So the mission of the church, I think this is what we're missing. The mission of the church is to make disciples of all nations. So I would say that that's what we're missing most. You can't just check a box. Boom. We have a portion of our money that goes to missions. Check a box. We do short-term missions. You can't just check a box that says we have a global missions pastor. No, like your pastor is your global missions pastor. Your pastor is making responsible for making disciples of all nations. Like that's the church's responsibility. So I think what we're missing is the whole point of why we exist. Why does the church even exist? To glorify God and make his name known among all nations. Like that's why it exists. If that's the purpose of the church and there's a 99 to 1 imbalance, (laughs) I would say that's where a shift needs to be made. That's where a change has to happen. And so what are we as an organization, what are we trying to accomplish? We're not trying to get Radical's name out there at all, actually. We want to see the 99 to 1 surely change. We believe, we believe, statistics will tell us, that there are enough resources in the church today to accomplish the imbalance. There are enough resources in the church today that, we shouldn't we will not have unreached anymore. But it's not going to if we keep the 99 to 1. It cost money to go to hard places. It cost money to get to the remainder of 3.2 billion people who've never heard the gospel. So one way to begin to do that is to shift your funding. One way to do that is to begin to shift where you're sending your missionaries. Right? One way to begin to change that is to begin to shift. I'm a college student. I go to a college that has a variety of international students. Those international students are going to graduate and they're going to wind up going where? Right back where they came from. Whatever country that they're from. Not every case, but there's a high percentage that do. We know that. Huh. 
what if I'm making disciples of international students on my campus? They come to know Jesus. They're discipled by me while I'm there. They go back to wherever they are among unreached people. What if that is the means in which God intended to get the gospel to these places? Right? So it's just a, it's got to, we got to change the way we think about our part to play. We all have the command to go and make disciples of all nations. It doesn't mean we all literally pack up and sell everything we have and move cross-culturally. There are people that need to do that, but not everybody. We all have a part to play in it. So what is your part to play? What is your church's part to play? Pastor, you have a part to play. So let's figure it out. (laughs) And we want to help you figure that out, right? Urgent is a way to help shift that. Because when you begin working toward funding through Urgent, you begin participating in supporting all these indigenous brothers and sisters around the world, right? You begin to talk to your church about it. You begin to pray differently about it. You look at Stratus and you're like, oh, we're supporting work in Afghanistan? Oh, this is what life's like in Afghanistan. This is what an Afghan lady looks like. This is what her, her daily life is like. These are the prayer points that we need to be focusing on as a church. You begin to start doing that, it changes. It changes your whole mental approach to everything. You begin to leverage your life, your resources, your money, all differently. So I would say, I don't know if I would say the church is missing, but like I guess that is kind of what I'm saying. It's like, that's where they're swinging and missing. <laughs> so Chris, I really appreciate you saying all that. And I feel like I just want to go do something about it right now. And I have the feeling that anybody who listens to this episode and hears what you just said might feel the same way. And I was hoping you could just share what are some avenues specifically through Radical that people can start to take action and start to solve this imbalance right now? So we've created a way for everyone to participate. We've created a way. And again, of course, kind of we talked about this earlier, Cody, anybody can financially support Radical. Pastors can attend our events. 18 to 25-year-olds can can attend events that we're doing for, for that particular demographic. So we have that means in which to participate in things that Radical is doing. But I think one of the questions you're asking is directly related to this imbalance, this specific work that we're leading on the front lines of urgent need. And if you want to become a part of anybody, any of your listeners, they want to participate in a vetted, very healthy work among the unreached, we want to be that means to allow you to to do that. We want to help you do that, right? We're not going to connect you with individuals overseas. We're not going to connect you with a local church in these hard places. Like that's not how this is set up. But we are identifying those individuals and we have created a way for you to give and pray toward that work. So you can go to urgentneeds.org. You can do this right now. You can go to urgentneeds.org. There's a little donate button that's floating around. You hit that button and you can begin to support it monthly. You can give one time. You can give you know, regularly, how, however you want to set that up. If you give monthly, then you become a part of a group called Urgent United. And Urgent United is, is literally just a community of monthly givers that are committing to praying together monthly for the unreached and 
So you can join, again, you can join Urgent United. All of this can be found out on urgentneeds.org. But think of it this way. You have a part to play in getting the gospel to those that have never heard it. The likelihood is you're not going to these places. So we want you to partner with us to being a part of getting the gospel to those that have never heard it. And you do that differently than you do sharing the gospel in places where the gospel is already reached. It has to look different. So people often say this to us. So all you need me to do is give. Like, that's it. Like, I want to touch it. Hey, well, I don't, I don't want to just give. I want to be a part of doing. I'm like, okay, pray. And they're like, oh, yeah, I, I want to, you know, the old slogan, right? Pray, give, go. And we're like, oh, that's great. But what, what is that insinuating? That go is more important than pray. And we're like, no, it's not a, it's not a step stone. It's like Exodus 34, like pray. Pray that way, and it directly makes an impact. <laughs> it makes an impact on, on what God is doing among the nations. And so it's not minimizing, quote-unquote, giving and praying. It's like, this is what it is. Give toward this work. Because we're doing that part of the vetting for the church. The church typically doesn't have the means to do that. Most churches do not. So we're providing that piece. And then through this trusted organization, and we realize it's a great amount of trust, give toward that work, and we will help you be able to specifically pray about the work that you're supporting. Because we give you those stories and those prayer points and those things that are taking place in places that we can talk about. We can change names. There's a lot of things we can do, but we, we can't specifically identify a lot of the work, but at the risk of people's lives. But yeah, so that's how I would say individuals literally can participate in this work by going to urgentneeds.org. Well, that's awesome, Chris. And, and we're so grateful for all the work that you guys have done through Radical and through the Urgent Initiative and through the many other things that you guys are doing at Radical. And, you know, we end every episode with a manager's minute where we basically reflect on the idea that we are all managers of God's wealth ultimately. And like to end with just a quick suggestion for how people can use any financial margin they have to advance the gospel. And I think what you just shared is exactly that, how we can be a part of what God really is doing at the front lines of the Great Commission, reaching the unreached where the gospel is not known, and where there are workers who are in the places that they live and know, reaching the communities around them where they may be one of only a handful of Christians. And so I encourage everybody to check out Radical.net and all the work that you guys are doing there. Well, Chris, thanks so much for joining us. This has been a fantastic conversation. I know that I have learned a ton. And just like Cody said, I am excited to get plugged in and involved in reaching the unreached. So thanks for joining us. Thanks, Cody and Keelan. It's just really good just knowing there are brothers out there that have a desire to encourage others and equip them along these lines. And so it's a good conversation. Love to have any other dialogue in the days to come. So thanks, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you have questions about setting a financial finish line or anything else you heard on the show today, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us on Instagram at finishlinepledge, through our website at finishlinepledge.com, or by email at hello at finishlinepledge.com. 
Send us any questions you have, and we'll answer them on one of our future episodes. As always, if you want to find any of our references or links from today's show, you can find them in our show notes at finishlinepledge.com slash episode 32. That's all we have for today. We'll see you next time.